Welcome to Jamie's Corner Podcast. This is a show where we talk about veganism, spirituality, animal rights, friends, family, struggles. I don't know. I kind of use this as my own therapy session, you know, just talking things through, really. So let's have some fun. I interview a lot of different activists, yogis, nutritionists. We got some doctors on here, veterinarians. You name it, just a lot of really great people. So thanks for joining me. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. I came across a cat that had been run over by a car and unfortunately passed away. I heard a voice saying that, Soros, stop your car and just get out. I think the first thing that got to me was the blood and the guts that had spilled on the road underneath my skin, your skin, everyone's skin, and the animal's skin, we are all the same, right? It's just bone, flesh, and blood. It's just our exterior appearances that make us different. And from that day onwards, I couldn't touch flesh. What the hell is up? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I have Sarav Malotra on the podcast. We met a few months ago at the Ava Summit where he came up to me and he's like, oh my God, he's like, I love Jamie's Corner YouTube channel. And I was like, oh my God, thank you for watching the chaos. And we became friends and today he's going to share his story on how he went vegan. He was working in a steakhouse and then he saw a cat on the side of the road and somehow it made him make the connection. And he's going to share that story with you today. He's also going to talk about working in the animal rights movement, what he does now, effective tactics for activism. And you can toss his page a follow. It's at Sentient Media. I'm at It's Jamie Logan and It's Jamie's Corner. Please like, subscribe, and rate this podcast. It really helps me out. And without further ado, here we go. All right, so Rob, well, thank you so much for coming on Jamie's Corner today. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Always a pleasure seeing you and the work that you do. Yeah, so we met a few months ago at the Ava Summit in DC, and you approached me and you told me that you love Jamie's Corner. <laughs> and I was so happy because <laughs> Jamie's Corner is a little much, it's a little out of control. So whenever I meet people that love and appreciate it, I, we connect right away. Yeah, And of course, being a fellow vegan that you are, we connected right off the bat. So for those people that don't know you, introduce yourself. What are you up to? Who are you? Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me. Yeah, just a brief thing, brief introduction. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, I'm based in uh, Toronto, Canada, and um, I've been a vegan for over six years now. I have been doing grassroots advocacy for two years. Uh, I was a part of the Toronto AV chapter until last year um, and I've worked in various other projects helping some non-profits and right now I work with Sentient Media. I've been with them for just over two years actually coming into my third year with them uh, looking after their uh, social media and uh, yeah you know just been doing some small taking small small steps you know bringing more awareness and for the animals for the planet that we live on and also for our fellow humans. So for people that don't know what sentient media is, why don't you describe what it is and how you started to get involved with them? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So sentient media is a nonprofit uh, online uh, journalism uh, uh, portal or website. Um, And we basically work with uh, journalists all across the world. We have some staff journalists in North America and at different parts of the world. And we bring out stories which aren't shared by the mainstream so you know talking about our food systems and the environmental impact it it has uh, in our surrounding areas our local indigenous or marginalized communities so we bring all those issues to the mainstream Uh, we also talk about of course uh, animal rights issues factory farms zoonotic diseases and also talk about how you know small family-run farms are getting squashed by big agriculture, you know, with their price fixing uh, strategies and, you know, various subsidies being given to big ag instead of, you know, plant-based farming or small farmers. So really just bring it out into the mainstream 
focusing on you know facts and allowing the audience or the readers to make their own decisions based on the information we provide so people can expect to find a range of content from podcasting to articles i think even video as well right we're slowly starting to work on reels and other video content as well Great. So people should definitely go give that a follow. And being that you run the social media page. I work, yeah, I work with the, the community manager and I look after the Instagram page. So awesome. So I guess take us back to how you even got involved in animal rights. Were you raised vegan? What's your story and how did you connect to veganism? Um, so this is a very nice question. <laughs> um, I've as I mentioned, I've been a vegan for about six years. Um, I was a vegetarian for three years before that. And prior to that, I was a heavy carnist or an animal flesh uh, eater. Um, my mom has always been a vegetarian, uh, but my dad coming in to the hotels industry, hotels and tourism industry, he was a chef. So I've always kind of grown up having different, different types of cuisines. Um, when I first started my career, over 10 years ago, working in the hotel industry, I used to work in a steakhouse. Um, so I used to eat a cow flesh every other day. Uh, I used to work in a Spanish restaurant. I mean, I've, I've, I've had the chance to experience and, you know, being in that moment of ignorance, really partake in everything, which our society deems as normal today. Um, and, you know, fast forward my journey to 2015, uh, we, our entire family had moved to a city uh, further north of Dubai, just so that everyone knows I should stay in Dubai for many years and I recently moved to Canada. Uh, sorry, I digress there. Um, so yeah, we used to stay in a city north of Dubai and run two of our own Indian restaurants. And on one of those restaurants, I was basically doing a delivery run. And I was, you know, taking these bags of tiffins to, you know, other clients. And I came across a cat that had been run over by a car and unfortunately passed away. And, you know, you get this moment where something or some voice comes in from inside and tells you, you know, this is not right or this can could have been done in a better way. Uh, I heard a voice saying that, sort of stop your car and just get out. So I parked my car on the side and I got up and I... Luckily, I had bags in my car, so I was able to pick up the corpse of the cat. And uh, I took that the cat into my car, and we drove somewhere close to our restaurant and found a small area where there was more sand, so we could easily, you know, leave the body or bury the body. And I decided just to, you know, dig a hole, bury the body. I prayed over his or her, uh, you know, soul that has already passed on. Um, and from that day onwards, I couldn't touch flesh. I was still, I still, that made me become a vegetarian at this, at that point, but I was able to, I couldn't, I couldn't consume animal flesh after that. And that led me down a rabbit hole of, you know, doing my own research, uh, Mercy for Animals, PETA, uh, Anonymous for Voiceless, uh, Animal Safe Movement, uh, so many groups, you know, and seeing the work that they do, uh, just really finding out what happens to animals uh, in our food and materialistic system. You know, whether you eat a piece of cow flesh or you wear leather. I mean, this it's the the amount of cruelty that goes in for the animals and the people also. My dad working in those industries is just it's just ridiculous. So from that day onwards, uh, I would have always carried a bag. So every time I come across any dead animal on the road uh, and I'm driving home, especially while I was still in Dubai, I would just, you know, park my car on the side, pick up the body of the animal, bury that particular, that diseased corpse. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I've, unfortunately I've done, I've buried rats that have been killed near construction site. Uh, on my last trip home, someone had killed a small snake does a snake and threw the body into our garden. So we cremated uh, the snake. So even here, if I do come across, you know, my roommate and I, we try to move at least the body aside so it doesn't get squashed by ongoing traffic. Some wow. sort of respect to them. 
I mean, that is some story. I, I find it very interesting how you were able to connect a cat with the other animals that you were eating because it's pretty rare. Like when you think about the amount of people that have companion animals like cats and dogs, and then you look at what they're eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they're clearly just living in a state of cognitive dissonance where they don't even think about the flesh of a cat being similar to the flesh of a pig, chicken, you know, even a fish. And so what was it that you think helped you make the connection? I think the first thing that got to me was the blood and the guts that had spilled on the road underneath my skin, your skin, everyone's skin and the animal's skin. We are all the same, right? It's just bone, flesh and blood. It's just our exterior appearances that make us different. So I think really seeing that and that had two effects on me. So one, it made me move on the path of becoming a vegetarian at the time. And my main struggle with not giving up, uh, not being a vegan at the time, this is in 2015, was a cottage cheese, or as in India, we say paneer and ghee or clarified butter and honey. Uh, So that took me some time to, you know, get out of my, I would say my system, because I had already stopped consuming cow's milk and, you know, all of the other so-called byproducts. Um, so that had a twofold effect. So one was, you know, finding this path about what happens to animals in our industry and also connecting with animals in general. Um, I still remember when this happened, after that, we always had like some, you know, sort of a an animal walking around. So it could be either a cat or a bird. And just, you know, feeding and taking care of him or her. And that actually led on to a journey where, as a family, we started taking care of cats. You know, I used to feed close to 20 plus cats every night. Uh, They would just come and sit on my car and I'd come home from work or delivery run and I would just feed them. Um, And I mean, like now back home, we have five rescue cats and one adopted dog. Uh, back home with my family and like you know it's they're there I mean they're angels all of them ah that's so cute and it it's so true it really doesn't take anything away from a person to be kind to an animal and I think what you said about underneath all of our skin is blood is veins is tendons and bones and we're so disconnected from those bones on our plates from the living creature that it actually came from, right? It's insane. Almost so much so that when you show people the footage of how the animal got to the plate, they don't even want to look. They don't want to look. I mean, if they wanted, (laughs) if they looked, I've seen, I think I've seen some clips on your uh, series and all other other channels as well, where um, a parent is like closing the eyes of the children while walking past like (laughs) A.V., And not being able to look, I'm like, but that, that's, that's what you're eating, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, wake up, everyone. Jeez, it is so frustrating. And that's why we, we need to try many different forms of activism to, to reach people, right? So what do you think are some very effective forms of activism that we should all be taking in our day-to-day lives? I feel that everything that a person does is a form of advocacy or activism. So some people are very good, you know, making noise and disrupting certain places. That's a form of activism. What Jamie does is a beautiful form of activism. You're bringing out that information. Uh, You know, what organizations like Sentient Media, there's another very wonderful organization uh, called Canadian for Responsible Food Policy. Their old name is Nation Rising. They're talking about subsidies and changing subsidies towards plant-based farming. That's a form of advocacy. I think everything that we do with an intent of making the world a better place, a more just place is a form of advocacy. It may have different names, grassroots activism, policy-based advocacy, or, you know, working in companies or corporations like, you know, just egg for example right bringing out vegan eggs that's that's their own form of service that they're doing right to bring those options out to people so that they have a choice to change from having eggs 
to vegan eggs. So I think everything is a form of advocacy and it's just what you get called to do so or how you feel you can be of service. And there's definitely no shortage of options when it comes to finding vegan eggs or finding vegan meats or cheeses or milks or whatever it is. So talk about how then you have now started your consulting agency. So you're trying to tie your passions in with your advocacy, right? So talk a little bit about that and uh, what it is and what you're doing. So this has been a passion of mine. I mean, animal rights has been a passion of mine for, you know, since time I became a vegetarian and vegan. Uh, but I've also been very uh, connected with how we treat our planet and how it, that stems down to every part of our society. And having that in mind, I created my own, or I'm working to, you know, launch my own sustainable consultancy company called The Soul Alchemist. And the goal of this consultancy company is to work with industries like tourism, travel, and hospitality and bridge the gap. So, you know, all these three industries are very resource intensive, very exploitative when it comes to, you know, electric, electric consumption, water wastage, food procurement and wastage. I mean, you know, you have buffets of, let's say, dead animal flesh. That's not going to be consumed. That's going to be thrown away. So that animal, you know, died from nothing. I mean, just the fact that we have so much of wastage on that front, it's it's shocking. So I think, you know, finding that balance and helping businesses, you know, find the path of being more sustainable, being more conscious, in tune with their surroundings, environmental surroundings and communities, while at the same time, you know, helping ensure that their bottom lines don't get affected so that they get financially incentivized for, you know, uh, adopting a plant-based local menu uh, or implementing green technology like solar, geothermal, hydroponic, so on and so forth, is what I hope to accomplish with uh, my, uh, my environment and sustainable company. I love that. And, and also, we were talking about a few weeks ago, going to influencers and people that are starting trends in our society and being like you guys should be promoting sustainability and you should be promoting kindness to animals i it really infuriates me when you have these people that have millions of followers and then they just spew bs and lack of information to their followers it's insane it's, it's crazy it's crazy and I, i'm glad that you brought it up because i actually uh, narrowed down on the name uh it's basically be kind, live kind. Uh, and the whole idea behind uh, this is, as Jamie mentioned, is to just use the model that we currently have where everyone is so caught up in this digital age of being on social media to bring about some kindness, some compassion. And I think this stems, A, on how we treat animals, you know, based on physical appearances, uh, how we treat our environment, I think that further boils down to how we treat one another, you know, people of different genders, different cultures, uh, skin tones, so on and so forth. I think, and I think just creating that switch by how influencers, you know, you know, get an influencer to do a beach cleanup or go to a, a soup kitchen and help and feed people who aren't able to afford a proper meal in a day. Or you know, go to an animal animal rescued animal sanctuary and you know help out and you know meet with cows and pigs and chickens and really break that barrier and showcase. Like you, you mentioned earlier, that kindness doesn't cost anything. It should be the moral baseline, and and it's like you don't have to choose one social justice issue. Like this is something that relates to so many different things. So you can help animals and you can support the animal rights movement and also help people. It's not one or the other. <laughs> you and I had spoken a little bit about spirituality. And I think that there is a big connection between veganism and spirituality. The idea that you're putting in light and life into your body. You are more connected to all living beings on uh, on a more dynamic level than you would see just in our society. Like most people just go about their lives. They don't even think about the fact that like fish feel pain or that birds, you know, should be free and not be, you know, kept in uh, factory farms like chickens are, you know what I mean? So talk a little bit about your journey with spirituality. 
Yeah, thank you uh, for bringing that up, Jamie. Um, I, I like you, like you mentioned, it's all everything is interconnected. So I think what you know, what we consume, what we wear, is what we put out. Um, my roommate and I, we have this discussion that everything is energy, and you know, it is everything is energy. So it's you know, if you consume, if you consume like cow flesh or pig flesh, and you're consuming pain, fear. Uh, you know, broken promises, you know, let's say from a cow's perspective, she is staying on a beautiful farm, not realizing that she's going to be exploited for milk and then killed. It's a betrayal. It's a betrayal of a trust. You know, you're breaking that promise that that the cow makes with you. So we consume all of that and that's what we pull out into our society. I mean, people talk about peace and compassion and unity you know, between different countries and, you know, different groups of people. But we don't realize that what we are consuming itself is filled with pain. It's filled with betrayal. And this actually reminds me of a speech I had given at the Animal Rights March earlier in 2022, where we sp- I spoke about it. I was like, if you look at our food system and a materialistic system, we are exploiting the sacred bond between a mother and a child. It's mother cow, baby cow, mother pig, baby pig, mama hen, baby hen, fishes. Even when they are exploited for caviar, I mean, it's 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 all it's all it's always been about that that one bond, you know, which you know which should unify us, which brings into creation into this world, um, and that's how we treat one another. You know how we treat women, children, you know, people of other communities, marginalized groups, and we objectify everyone just for for our own benefit. And that's what we do to, to the animals. You know, um, I've had friends in the past who, you know, do yoga and they consume animal flesh. And I, I can never understand that concept. I mean, you're doing such a peaceful practice, which is supposed to, you know, unify your mind, body and soul. And yet you're consuming dead flesh. And that that goes against a lot of the core principles. So if you were to go to an ashram in India, they would they don't they don't uh, permit any animal flesh. They wear clothes which aren't which are not leather based clothes. So it's it's interesting. It really blows my mind with those people because <laughs> it's just it's like you're basically preaching through yoga and you're practicing yoga for this mind, body, and soul experience. And it, within that, you're saying that we should be kind and loving and peaceful to all living beings. I mean, that is the core principle of Buddhism, for example. And then when you sit down at dinner, you eat the, the chicken flesh, the pig flesh, the cow flesh. It's like, well, what about that being? Do they not count? Are they somehow removed from the equation of being kind? to all living beings, it really makes no sense. And it's super frustrated. And then you have these like weird spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual people that, you know, they, they really talk the talk, but then they don't walk the walk. And they come up with all these weird things that, oh, if you, you know, respect the animal and how, what about taking a knife to an animal's throat shows respect in any way? Is that how you want to be respected? You know, you when let's say when you have an argument with a friend, sometimes, and you know, it's convenient. So if it's good for you, it works. If it's not good for you, you know, don't talk to me, kind of a thing. So I think it's like what works for them. Like they can, you know, you know, do grass, grass, grass feed a cow and let this cow live on a free range farm and you know massage the cow and then when it comes time, then you forget all that you do in the past just to satisfy a few minutes just it's temporary pleasure in your mouth it's it's not that something it's it's frustrating you know what it is people are so addicted to these products that they'll come up with any excuse in the world to continue eating them i think a big part of it too is the social pressure i think if animal products weren't available in restaurants and let's say the default item was a vegan item. I think most people, I think, would 
if it was weird to eat animals, they wouldn't go out of their way to be like, no, I want that cow flesh. But because it's so normalized and because it's on the menu and because a lot of restaurants either don't have a vegan re- option or few, people just order the, the flesh. So it's that convenience and social element as well. Talk a little bit about how when you changed to become vegan, what happened with your job at the steakhouse and how did people around you react? So... I actually had already left the steakhouse when I became vegan. Um, but uh, when I started my journey, I was able to, you know, convince my parents uh, to predominantly follow, follow a plant-based diet. So, I mean, you know, honey and ghee is still a on and off thing. But otherwise, like, there's no more uh, animal flesh brought in, into our house uh, for food or even clothes. So no leather, uh, none of that. Uh, when it came to my work environments, uh, I had moved into marketing after I became uh, vegan. Uh, and uh, I used to have this ongoing debate with all my colleagues. Um, and at one point, you know what, I just started, you know, saying that if you're going to have food with me and I'm buying food for you, it's going to be vegan. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to have any cow, or, you know, pig flesh or chicken flesh on my ta- on, on the table with me. So I used to always like, you know, indulge them and expose them to different uh, you know vegan options uh, vegan sweets um i know that a lot of people are on the fence with beyond meat but i was able to get beyond meat into my hotel group where we had over thousand plus rooms and my founder and ceo they enjoyed beyond meat so we got a full-fledged beyond meat burger and a selection and that was just by you know talking about it and showcasing those options like you mentioned just you know, having those in place so that people can see and experience and realize that vegan food ain't boring. (laughs) It's not boring at all. And I hate when people are saying, oh, I'm on the fence about Beyond Meat, because when you're eating a burger, when somebody's eating a cow flesh burger, Beyond Meat is a way better option in terms of health, in terms of environment. So we're not saying it's a health food. It's not a salad, but it's something that satisfies that taste pleasure. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So what are foods that you like to eat every single day? Like, I really want to get cultural here, too, being that you've lived all over the world. Like, what's an example of a good breakfast, lunch, and dinner that you enjoy? I mean, a lot of people, I know that in India, dairy is a big thing, largest producer and consumer of dairy. Uh, But people don't realize that a lot of the dishes that are there, if you remove paneer from it or cottage cheese from it, they are vegan. So, I mean, something that I enjoy having in the mornings is, you know, either a nice uh, fruit salad or some oats with berries um, or very simple, get a nice quick bagel to go with some avocado and coffee. <laughs> Does the trick, you know, you get vegan bagels and avocados are amazing. Um, for lunch and dinner, I mean, like any dishes. So for people, you know, who know a little bit about Indian food like you know you'll get some nice masalas or curries like aloo mutter or like you know mutter and tofu and you know dals uh, rajmas which are kidney beans uh, you know even like tandoori's like people say that they can't live without tandoori chicken but on the contrary you get options you can have tandoori tofu uh, there's an there's an amazing company in India called uh, good dot if i'm not mistaken where they do indian mock meats it's a vegan company and their goal is to make mock meats which you know cater to the cater to the taste buds of indian cuisine so you'll have like kebabs you can have a vegan butter chicken you know vegan uh, uh lamb curry tandoori tandoori kebabs and all of that and it, it, it's the, the options are just endless now i know the answer to this but for those people that ask why would you want to eat foods that resemble the animal what would you say i mean personally like if i had an option to go vegan uh, earlier on and i was given an option to resemble eat foods that resemble animal flesh i would choose that and then slowly wean off that's just my personal perspective like uh, like you mentioned i think a lot of people are so are addicted and so stuck in this norm in our society that it is okay to eat um, animal flesh. I think giving them this alternative that this doesn't affect you at all. 
you know you're just moving from one source to another source and this source doesn't kill any animals doesn't harm the environment doesn't have any other underlying and human rights issues as well it's a win win it's literally like you can have your cake and eat it too that's what i think vegan food is right and it's not be- we didn't give up these animal products because we didn't like the taste we gave them up because of the cruelty and the consequences that come behind those products exactly so people always say oh why do you make you know your vegan meats look and taste like real fl- animal meat and it's because well first of all animal meat doesn't look anything like the animal that you are eating are eating first of all so why do you make your food not look like the animal that it came from that's my question back to them but yeah we do it because again it's like you can have your cake and eat it too we want to make it relatable so that's why we will label we'll label almond milk milk because what else are we going to call it? Almond juice? Like then people aren't going to know in their head what that product is. We need to relate it to products that people have been raised on and know what it is. So while seitan might not be chicken, it has the same texture and it was very similar. And so that's why we call certain products chicken, maybe with an apostrophe N. Yeah, yeah. And actually adding to that, something that I've was able to witness uh, on my previous trip to meet my family back home was the labeling so when you in canada especially i'm sure it's the same in the us but i'd rather have jamie confirm that uh when you go and see a label and you read you know behind bread you see dried dairy milk dairy milk fat or dairy milk powder so it's always like you know these jargon words which kind of further divide but back home in dubai they started labeling it as cow's milk cow's milk powder so they've slowly slowly started breaking away from using the word dairy in all the ingredients list and even on their marketing campaigns for being more environmentally sustainable you see for you see clips and visuals of only whole food plant based diets so it's 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 a good way of kind of you know bringing it through i mean like having those physical alternatives there for people like those plant based meats but also at the same time from a marketing standpoint breaking down the 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 wording that we have you know dairy piece of chicken steak like you know steaks and i mean you know instead of saying that might as well just say it for as is you know cow's milk or like animal flesh yeah i completely agree and i think you know there was actually a lawsuit going on where these dairy companies were trying to sue plant-based milk companies for calling their products butter and milk milk and butter and cheese <laughs> yeah yeah but meanwhile it's like well you're call you the dairy industry are calling your freaking products milk when really you should be calling it breast milk or cow lactations you know so I, <laughs> it's so insane but they lost so sorry to say it was a stupid claim you know that they made i mean like i think we live in a world of a free market i'm you know for these companies to thrive and i mean like why would you have an issue and i think the underlying causes to why they did that is because they are they afraid they know that the tide is turning i mean we may not see it on our level but i mean on a global scale you know there are people who are becoming more aware who are becoming more conscious in their food and travel choices. How about they're even trying to hop on the bandwagon by labeling some of their milk products environmentally friendly, carbon footprint zero. It's like how do they even make these claims? That should be illegal. I mean that's that's greenwashing 101. I think a lot of them are doing it. I mean there are companies that are saying oh we've got net you know net zero chicken for sale uh, in these grocery stores and that doesn't make sense because it's not possible i mean just from the supply chain for you know growing the land the resources needed to feed that animal you are going to be having a carbon footprint you're going to have an environmental footprint as i say carbon you're going to have an environmental footprint so i mean to go out and say that oh we have achieved net zero and we have gone carbon neutral i mean it i it i don't buy it and i know that there are a lot of other people you know when i speak to them and who aren't fully vegans yet uh, they also understand that this is excuse my language bullshit 
Oh, it is bullshit. It's a load of shit. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's unreal. It's... Right, and it's like, then where is the money going? So then when you look at studies that actually show the numbers and you look at studies that show, okay, this is how much land, this is how much food. I mean, we're feeding over 60% of the food that we're growing to the animals because there's over 69 billion animals that we're raising every year for food to kill. So it's like, when you really look at the numbers, it's like, who's funding those studies as well? It's like, you need to go to unbiased sources. Ourplanetanddata.org is a really good one. And Faunalytics is also another really good one. Yeah. Plant-based data is also very good. Plantbaseddata.org. I think following the trail of money is very important in today's day and age. Um, you know, if you're reading a study that talks about reducing your meat and or, you know, having grass-fed cow flesh or getting free-range cow's milk, I would advise everyone to look at where that where that information is coming from who is putting the money behind it because i mean the animal ag industry is very well funded the governments subsidize them heavily over 90 percent of the subsidies are given to those industries um it's 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 it's, it's, and it's also an economy right so it helps drive their economy so everyone else you know the people in power also want to kind of have them going on keep going because you know one is benefiting the other the other one is benefiting the other so where do you see the future of this movement and where would you ultimately like to get it to i mean there's so many different things that we need to focus on right but we are making major strides but in our lifetime where do you realistically see us getting to and what do you hope for the future of the planet I mean, there are a lot of people who I've come across who are a bit on the, who are pessimistic saying that we want, you know, uh, eradicate or stop animal ag completely in our lifetime. Um, I think otherwise, um, I think there's a very practical approach we can take. Um, and I think the more we make available alternative proteins, uh, the better our chances of getting animal agriculture out of the equation things like you know cultured meats uh, plant-based meats uh, you know cultured cow's milk as well as coming out now um, I think those are ways or tools that can be used to expedite removing animal ag the traditional animal ag industry out of the equation and at the same time you know while whilst constantly applying pressure whether it's through grassroots grassroots activism through various groups uh, bearing witness um, and shifting policy, we can bring about a big change. I mean, I would love to see countries adopting, you know, zero animal flesh policies in our lifetime. Um, you know, when people say lab grown meats still use animals. I mean, at the initial, that initial stage, yes, to get the cells, but you know, Upside Foods, also known as Memphis Meats, has been able to replicate uh, the the food that they used to initially get from bovine serum or dead baby calves. They've made it plant, they managed to get it to become plant-based, and that was last year. So, I mean, there are a lot of things happening within that space as well. And I think that, along with, you know, bringing more awareness for animal rights and environmental issues, will bring us bring us to a good stage where we can have certain countries going no animal, no kill animal with their food systems. I don't know if the whole world, I would love to see the whole world, but I can definitely see some countries going completely vegan or plant-based. Right, and with the lab-grown meat stuff, it's almost like, okay, well, if we can give you the flesh and we can give you the muscle tissue and give you the same exact taste, texture, and basically give you the meat product without having to slaughter an animal, why would anybody say no to that? I think also what a lot of people don't realize is these lab-grown meat products, it's also known as cultivated meat, these are not new technologies. We've been using this technology for many, many, many years, and we actually use it in hospitals to duplicate organs and clone different uh, tissues that we need for surgeries and whatnot. So it really is not something that's new, and I think a lot of like people hear the word lab and they get all 
you know, weirded out about it, but I, it's so funny. It's like, you're okay with, uh, eating bones, blood, tenders, guts, muscles and whatnot. But then, and you know, as soon as you say, oh, like lab grown or tofu or soybean, it's like people get so offended. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. And I think, I think that has to do with a lot, you know, a lot of people say that this is how we used to do or how our ancestors have been doing things. And, you know, if they've been doing things thousands of years ago, that doesn't make it right in today's day and age. And we have to move with time. So, you know, on that note, an example is like, you know, when you look at dairy in India, uh, I mean, the, the, the milk, the cow's milk that my grandfather had is very different to what is being given today. I mean, they used to have cows in their own backyards and the humans in the family would only get the milk after the calf would have consumed whatever he or she needed to consume. And that was a very different time. And it's also survival. I mean, we're talking about people that needed these products because they didn't have money or, you know, didn't have the resources. I mean, it's weird enough to breastfeed from another species, but it's like if you have to do that to survive, okay, we're talking about a very different time. We're not in this time anymore in 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 most parts of the world. I mean, of course, there's still developing countries and people that, you know, are in food deserts and it's like we're not necessarily speaking to you guys. Like that is probably the last target as of right now you know what i mean like we're really trying to focus on people and places that can make strides and changes yeah exactly and i mean like like you said i think it's we aren't in those times and i think we have to move we have to move, we have to change i mean change is the only thing constant in this world and i mean the more we discover the more we you know develop capabilities for new technology and i mean also connecting back to indigenous roots so there are a lot of people who are looking back to going the indigenous way where they want to focus on a whole food plant-based lifestyle and that's good i mean you have both sides working together why not bridge the gap and you know educate people and bring that awareness out that you know this is an option that you have and i mean it really is like it's the simplest solution and we just end up complicating it with how you know, we're caught up in the matrix or the me- the matrix. Yeah, no, I love that comparison. It's like red pill or blue pill. Do you really want to know the truth or do you want to just keep living in, you know, bliss, but also ignorance and contributing to a horrific industry? It's it's interesting. It's it's, it's an interesting uh, journey. A lot, a lot, a lot to learn, a lot to grow from. I mean, um, I am very fortunate, uh, you know, being having been able to come to Canada after, you know, doing a lot of online activism when I was still in Dubai, I used to argue with people on social media, Facebook, Instagram, a lot of them, especially based in India and being able to really just participate here and see what's happening on, on the ground, you know, from cubes of fruit, um, uh, bearing witness with animal save, uh, you know, helping my, friend my roommate as well with the plant-based uh the lobbying organization that she works with sent in media um another dear friend of mine uh she does yoga and she's actually vegan for the animals i mean she does all the spiritual uh practices uh from india and she always says in all her spiritual courses those the days you're leading up to doing the classes and afterwards you have to have no animal flesh wow you should put me in touch with her. Maybe we could even, I'll do a podcast episode with her where we actually do a full-on yoga class that ties in spirituality and veganism. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I can I can do that, yeah. So, I mean, there's, the, like like I said, there's so much happening and I think I, I do see countries going vegan in our lifetime. The whole world is a few, few ways down the road, but it is possible. I think it's there. We just have to kind of realign ourselves and bridge the gaps. So what is Dubai like with the vegan scene? Because my friend was just there, actually, and she said that there's a lot of vegetarian options and there's a lot of, like, hummus and falafel and stuff like that, but they were really unaware about the dairy stuff. I mean... <laughs> Where she was. I mean, when I went last time, I was, I was like 
pleasantly surprised with the vegan options that they had um, in various restaurants. Um, I think knowing where to go and where to find those pockets of good vegan food is still something which is needed because they aren't fully, uh, you know, talking about it as we talk about it here. They talk about it from a very strong environmental perspective and they focus on alternative proteins and, you know, uh, you know, localized farming of vegetables, so hydroponic farming, so on and so forth. Um, but, I mean, like, my personal experience when I used to still work in the hotels over there or in the last hotel that I worked at, I mean, we had a lot of vegan options, lots of vegan options. I mean, there was a Chin- there is a Chinese restaurant over there with no MSG and any of those food uh, color colorings and all of that stuff. And they had a full-fledged, I mean, they would name it vegetarian, but if we actually look at the ingredients, there was no dairy in it. You had and different textures, different tastes, and this is not even using plant-based meats. This is using wholesome vegetables, you know, like chili tofu or like, you know, tofu and green beans or bitter melon, you know, like stir-fried bitter melon. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like bitter melon. I love it after I had it at that restaurant because they added so many flavors with it. Garlic, onions, you know, fresh herbs. And it, I mean, there are so many amazing mouth-watering dishes. Yeah, there's definitely not a shortage. I think the hardest part about being vegan is just dealing with the people. It's not the food aspect whatsoever. You really figure it out. I mean, there maybe have been one or two experiences where I was out at an event and they had broccoli and that was it but it's one of those things where you bring a bar you you eat something before you eat something afterwards it's not that big of a deal (laughs) that people make it out to be and I feel like when people just use the food to as an excuse to not go vegan that's just them not wanting to go vegan and make the choice it's not because the food is an actual issue definitely and I mean I luckily like you said I think it's the people's education and that's something that I've experienced in India as well uh, where we need to ask people, can I get it vegan? And they're like, oh, okay, this has paneer and, you know, or this has ghee. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want anything, any of that. I just want it pure. And then I end up saying words like pure veg, nothing about, nothing from that comes from any animal in this. And I mean, they understand after I explain it to them, but I think it's just that that education, that initial awareness that, you're right. I can only imagine how back in the 80s, when you start to see like the rise of the vegan movement, there were, I know a few people that have been vegan since the 80s, and we think it's hard now. Oh my God. Imagine then, like nobody even knew what vegan was. I feel like even 10 years ago, people didn't know what it was, but now people are starting to know what it is. And we just got to keep showing amazing recipes, doing activism, rescuing and doing what we can. So as we begin to wrap up, I want you to give a piece of some more pieces of advice. You've been giving great advice this whole episode, but if there's anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to share, please do so. Actually, I just wanted to add quickly to what you said. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, like, I mean, India has the issue with dairy, but they've always been predominantly a vegetarian society. And the biggest challenge that has arisen, I would not say challenge, I think probably with economic growth is that the disposable income has increased. So a lot of people around the world and in in India, in India as well, associate animal flesh consumption to, you know, status quo with luxury. So I think being able to break that barrier and showing that, you know, vegan food is a symbol of status. So people who reach that level of disposable income can start to go back to how things were um, or move forward and depending on which country they are into, you know, buying fresh produce and plant-based meats. That's another way of kind of breaking the barrier and changing, shifting the status quo. Totally. Totally. And yeah, get people thinking of veganism differently, like not just a grass diet. We don't eat twigs and leaves and grass. Um, (laughs) Damn. So funny. People think it's also like a weight loss thing. Like I eat more Oreos and junk food than I ever have in my entire life. So (laughs) definitely haven't lost weight. Um, Yeah. Oreos are an accidental vegan, but amazing vegan product. (laughs) 
Right, exactly. And potato chips. Yeah, there's a lot of foods that you've been eating your whole life that are actually vegan, so that you wouldn't even realize. So that's helpful. Amazing. So where can people find you? And if they have questions, how they how can they connect with you? Um, so I would recommend people just checking out my Instagram. Uh, uh, my Instagram handle is Karuna by Soro, which is K-A-R-U-N-A-B-Y-S-O-R-A-V, uh, which basically translates to compassion by Saurav in Sanskrit. And uh, check out Sentient Media. Uh, our handle is sentient underscore media on Instagram. And yeah, there are a few other resources I can share with Jamie uh, and I can add that in my story as well. And just to finish off, you know, there is a, a quote that I try to stick with when I'm doing, you know, advocacy or any kind of work that we are doing when it's to bring more awareness with animal-based uh, farming and moving away from that into, you know, cruelty-free, wholesome, plant-based farming and a plant-based world is uh, in the quest for excellence, there is no finish line. So we have reached this stage and it's just about going onwards and upwards and forwards. That's great because there's always work we can be doing. There's never going to be a perfect society. I mean, we all have a footprint, whether we like it or not. And unfortunately, humans are parasitic to the earth. We have taken over. So we just need to continue striving to do better. And veganism is a simple step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, like you said, and shifting that parasitic energy and becoming more stewards and taking care of our planet you know, um, and I think whichever way that is through, whether it's from the environmental standpoint or the animal rights standpoint, I think just coming together, it's going to get us over the tide. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing with us your story and talking about the animal rights movement with me. Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me. Uh, as always, I love watching your shows and yeah, I look ah. forward to seeing the work that we do together. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And thank you guys so much for listening. I'm at It's Jamie Logan and It's Jamie's Corner. Go check it out. And without further ado, until next time. Bye.